Close your eyes for a moment and imagine yourself standing on the ledge of a trapeze platform, seeing the other artists swinging back and forth, calling for you to jump, promising to catch you. So do you jump or do you wait for the fear to go away before taking the leap? Our guest for the 218th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Annie Bacher, and that's exactly what she felt as she was learning the trapeze. She shared with us the advice that her coach gave her that helped her to make the leap. And it's advice that applies to the copywriting business that you're building today. Before we jump in with Annie, and yes, that pun is intentional because we're nerdy writers like that. This episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground, the membership community designed to help you create a more successful copywriting business. As a member, you have access to more than 60 hours of insightful training, group coaching calls, copy teardowns and reviews weekly creative exercises, and our exclusive print newsletter mailed directly to your home. Go to thecopywriterunderground.com to learn more. And now let's swing into our interview and find oh, out. stop. <laughs> <laughs> and find out how Annie became a trapeze artist and a copywriter. Annie, we are so excited to talk to you and to dig into everything that you've been up to and all the changes you've made in your business over the last year. So why don't we kick this off with uh, your story and how you got into copywriting? Yeah, so I'm so excited to be here. I, like a lot of other people, kind of accidentally found copywriting, but I always, I always wanted to be a writer. And I didn't know that copywriting existed until maybe five years ago. So I, in college, I studied Latin American studies and I focused on anthropology and history. And if you told me that I would do marketing, um, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But now, I mean, looking back, it makes so much sense because um, both anthropology and history have so much to do with people and studying like why people do things and why people buy things. But um, at the time, I had no idea. So I wrote, I realized I wanted to do writing as a career when I wrote my honors thesis um, on contemporary circus artists in, in Argentina. And the parts I love the most about that were interviewing the I inter, I spent two months in Buenos Aires interviewing circus artists all over the city and asking them about how they got to where they were and how they identify within the world of contemporary circus. And I really loved those interviews and, and hearing their stories. And then I spent like six months writing this massive 90-page thesis and I didn't really like the academic part and doing all the citations, but I loved, I loved the writing part. And that's when I thought, yeah, like this is for me. I need to do something that involves writing and talking to people and telling stories. Um, so I ended up living in Buenos Aires and I still hadn't discovered copywriting. I thought that to be a writer, you had to be like a journalist or a starving novelist. Um, and yeah, I remember this moment 
when I I was reading Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, and that's still one of my favorite books. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to be a starving novelist, and um, I don't care if I make any money. I just want to write for a living. Um, and luckily, a couple, I think a couple months after that, I had, I fell into this copywriting job. Um, a local agency was looking for native English speaking copywriters because we, we were in Argentina and I didn't even know, like I applied for the job and sent them some of my writing samples, but I didn't know really what was involved in a copywriting job. Um, so I got an interview and I had to Google copywriting the night before and realized that it was actually perfectly aligned with what I like doing. And I, well, so I got the job and I ended up working for that agency for three years. And I, yeah, I got exposed to all different types of writing. I did a lot of email copywriting and website copywriting uh, for mostly bigger corporate clients. Um, and yeah, that was kind of, I was just kind of thrown into this world. Uh, but I was pretty lucky to have, I had an amazing boss who gave me a lot of guidance and really exposed me to different types of writing. So Annie, I, I want to go back to what you were saying about your thesis, because circus performers in Argentina, like I'm thinking about what I wrote for my senior thesis and it wasn't anything even close to that creative. It was probably, you know, in fact, I'm not even remembering what it was. It's so boring. It was something related to American history or something. Anyway, like how did you come up with that as the idea that you wanted to write about? Like what was going on that even pulled those different elements together for you? Yeah. So I thought I had to write about something boring too. Like I, I hear the word thesis and I think, I don't know, acad academics and not fun things. But I had this amazing conversation with a senior at the time who helped me figure out what I wanted to write about. And I thought I needed to write about like education or something that was serious and kind of related to my major. Um, but she asked me, she said, okay, if you like forget everything you feel like you should do and if you could just write about anything and it you it didn't have to be a thesis like what what's the first thing that comes to mind and i said circus um because well i had spent a semester abroad in buenos aires and i did a lot of aerial silks and trapeze and just spent a lot of time with other like amateur circus artists so i was fascinated by the circus culture and yeah i i didn't realize that that could be something I could write about. Um, and that, yeah, that conversation really totally changed my perspective about um, the things that you're allowed to write about in college. And then I, I formed an argument and did a lot of research uh, and had a blast. And what was your argument? So I was exploring identity and like how, how different, so the how in Argentina the identity of contemporary circus artists was different. It was like breaking away from these circus dynasties um, and like more traditional family, uh, like families of circus artists. Um, and then 
like beyond that, I was looking at how street artists define themselves and how and the relationship between the contemporary circus artists and street artists and the government and like all these issues of like them not having funding because they weren't recognized as like traditional circus artists. So, yeah. So before we move away from the circus and trapeze, can you just share what you have learned from the circus or, you know, doing trapeze that lessons you've learned that are important in running a business or even how to market yourself as as a copywriter and marketer today? Yeah. So I'm still involved in circus. I'm not researching them anymore. Uh, But I, yeah, I do a lot of flying trapeze. It's one of my number one hobbies. And I've learned that, I mean, the one big thing from flying trapeze is about fear. Um, I, like every time I go to a trapeze class, I think about kind of metaphors for business and life. But the story I think about all the time is when I used to, so when you're in doing flying trapeze, you're standing up on a platform and it's like 25 feet um, above the ground and you have to grab the bar and then jump off. And I used to, I like my heart was pumping and I would have all this adrenaline and I would take a really long time to jump off. Um, and I had this teacher, Kachi, who he would, he asked me like, why do you, why do you always take so long to get off the platform? Like you just, you know how to do the trick, just like jump off and go. Um, And I said, well, I'm afraid. Like I'm waiting for the fear to go away. And he said, the fear never goes away. Like it doesn't matter how good you get, you just have to do it anyway. Like feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, And so I think about that a lot with, I mean, with business and with copywriting, there's so much, Fear, especially like when I'm taking on a bigger project or something I've never done before. Um, there's a lot of fear involved, but I think about that story and how, like, you just sometimes you just have to jump and have confidence in yourself, and you're going to be afraid the whole time, but you can still do it and do a good job. So, like, I I've become a lot more confident in trapeze, and I don't have quite as much fear, but I'm still afraid. Like every time I try a new trick or I'm like, I'm training to become a catcher. So every time I like catch someone, um, there's a lot of fear, but I deal with it. You feel the fear and do it anyway. Maybe that's the takeaway from this episode. I, I the, the takeaway is that Rob and I should do the trapeze together. Yes, to help us really bond. Serious as trust issues. Partners. Yeah, as far um, as uh, I think Carol will drop. Me. <laughs> Carol will drop me. <laughs> so Annie, um, let's let's jump forward to that first job that you got as a copywriter because I am curious. You know, a, a lot of people who listen to the podcast are just starting out. They're you know thinking maybe I want to go freelance, or maybe I want to you know, work at an agency. Talk to us just a little bit about that learning process that you had, um, especially, you know, having a boss who was able to you know, give you the guidance that you mentioned, you know, what were the kinds of things that uh, the, your boss was teaching you? What kinds of, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like lessons or, um, you know, the guidance that you were getting as far as like how to write the copy, you know, just 
the all the whole learning process so early on it's been so long since i think a lot of us have gone through that i'd be curious you know just what that felt like and and what you did yeah i was lucky my boss was an amazing mentor and gave really good feedback so i learned a lot from him but i also learned i mean being at this big agency i felt kind of like a cog in a machine and i think i learned a lot of things not to do um and so i think back about that um, now, like when I'm in charge of projects and I have more ownership. But, well, I think the the big thing was like not being afraid to ask for feedback. Like, especially I was a beginner copywriter. I'd never, I didn't even know what copywriting was until I interviewed for the job. So yeah, my advice would be to like know, like own that you're a beginner and ask for a lot of feedback and not be afraid of not being perfect because no one expects, especially when you start out, like no one expects you to do a perfect job or um, make, like get huge results right away. So, and I, I was lucky. Yeah. I had a really good boss and he gave kind feedback, but he would tell you things that weren't okay. And that you couldn't make the same mistakes twice, basically, but um, it was okay to make them the first time. Some of the things that I learned, at, like looking back now, I realized I learned some of the things that I shouldn't do. Um, we didn't get a lot of access to data about our customers. Like we were in this agency, we were working with marketing managers in the US, and we didn't have the opportunity to learn a lot about who we were writing for. Um, so we kind of were order takers and were writing um, kind of based on like what sounded good or what the brand had written before and weren't paying a lot of attention to who, yeah, who, who was on the other side, who was getting the email, what was special about them. And um, that definitely frustrated me. And then the other thing that I wish we had done more of um, was like collaborating with other people, with designers and other people who were working on the project. So at the time, um, it was kind of like you wrote the copy and you put it, we had this fancy Excel sheet. And then we would pass it on to the designers and they would only really talk to us if there was a problem. And we didn't get to work on the, like a campaign or an email together and figure out how to make the copy and design work together. And I, as I worked more, um, I realized that we needed to kind of get together more towards the beginning of the project. Yeah, I guess those were some things that I learned because we didn't do them. Let's talk about your last year or so um, and your transition from working in-house for a, an agency, more of a design agency, and making the jump to go out on your own and what the catalyst for that and then also like what it took to make that happen and even your advice for other people who want to do something similar. Oh, yeah. This year has been a lot of a year of a lot of changes and a lot of growth for me. Um, so I left the ad agency in 2018 and 
I, I've always wanted to be independent and to do my own thing. Um, but I didn't know, I didn't realize until recently that doing my own thing doesn't mean being alone, um, or like working a hundred percent alone. So I, so after I left the ad agency, I, um, I had a bunch of freelance clients and one of them was this design agency who ended up hiring me part-time. So I was basically their in-house copywriter and project manager. And I was dedicating about two and a half days a week to them. And I loved, like, I loved every single project we did. I learned so much. Um, I got to be involved in a lot of startup, uh, like SaaS startups and help get like work really closely with product designers and with developers. And so I got to that experience working with them helped me see inside the process of product design and software development that I might not have seen if I were just working kind of on my own. But I still felt this kind of desire to be completely independent because I was, I was kind of building my business on the side. Um, and that two and a half, three days a week was, a, it was still a lot. Um, and I was doing a lot of things that weren't exactly related to my goals. So I was doing, still doing a fair amount of like managing projects and managing all the moving parts and I, yeah, I don't remember exactly when I realized um, that I needed to have more space for my own business and grow, like work on my own projects. Um, but actually, you you two both helped me a lot to realize that in order to achieve my goals, I needed to kind of be independent and go out on my own, and then. The other thing that made me realize that I like that freelancing wasn't just this thing. Like, I think sometimes, like as a copywriter, it's easy to think that freelancing is a temporary thing that we're doing, or maybe especially when you're starting out, like we're freelancing until a really great full time opportunity comes along and. I didn't consciously think that, but I think in the back of my mind, I thought, what if some really great full-time job comes along? Um, like, would I take it? And I got, so over the last year, I got three full-time job offers. And my initial reaction to all three of those was absolutely not. And I just uh, felt this like pull to build my own thing and build my own business. And so that combined with realizing that I didn't have space to build my own business uh, made me realize that I needed to really go off on my own um, and yeah, like do, do this for real and stop kind of giving excuses and putting it off. So I want to ask about you know what you're doing in your business today, but before we do that, you mentioned that this year has been a really big one for growth for you, um, and 
aside from, you know, leaving the agency, starting your own business, what other ways have, have you grown, you know, maybe it's completely outside of business over the, over the past, uh, say 10 or 12 months? Oh, wow. Um, well, I feel like this year is a year of like growth and change for everyone in some way. Uh, the pandemic has been a big factor um, for me. So I, I live in Argentina. I got stuck in the U.S. when I planned a trip. I came here in March. Um, and so I've kind of... Wait, had, did we, did yeah. we contribute to you being stuck in the U.S.? Yes. I, well, I was going to say it's like an unexpected good thing um, for my business. But yeah, so I came for TCC IRL in March and then Argentina shut their borders. Oh, like no. we were at the event and I was checking my email and all my friends were telling me that oh, my gosh. Argentina is locked down. But it's OK. I'll, I'm working on my visa and I'll get back eventually. But um, yeah, so all of a sudden I'm living with my parents and I have no responsibilities, um, no hobbies except like CrossFit once a day. And so I all of a sudden had all this time to focus on business growth and personal growth and like reading and um, just I, like, I think a lot of the changes I've made in my business have happened. I think they would have happened eventually, but I think they happened faster because I just had all this time. Like I just went on a million walks every day and I had so much time to like process things and journal and just kind of make decisions that maybe I wouldn't have had the space to before. And also, so I've been part of the Think Tank Mastermind and I've had all this support from you two and from everyone else in the Mastermind. And I think that also accelerated like the combination of having all this time to think and process and then having all these people to support me and bounce ideas off of all of that combined meant that I'm able to like, I feel like I've made all these decisions fairly quickly and made a lot of changes. Can you share some of those specific decisions beyond leaving the design studio, which you mentioned, but what are some of those other decisions that you've made and other changes that you've made over the last six months? Yeah. Um, well, so one of them was like kind of figuring out my business model. Um, so I like right now I, I work with one retainer client and then I have a couple of other offers and for the longest time I thought I needed to kind of commit to retainers or commit to these like one-off projects or packages. Um, and so having this time to think and work with mentors and kind of really focus on my business model helped me realize exactly what I want to offer. So I figured out that I want to keep this retainer um, and have that be my only retainer and then offer kind of more, um, I have like two other offers, um, like a workshop offer and then a, a copywriting package and I that I didn't want to do website copy. Um, so I think for a long time I thought I had to, like people would ask me for website copy, so I thought... I had to offer it. 
Um, and through all this reflection and processing and talking to people, I realized it doesn't fit with my my lifestyle and how I like to work with clients, these like months long website copy projects. And so I finally just made the decision to say like, I don't do, I don't offer website copy projects from scratch. And it was a huge relief and it's nice to be able to, to say no or say I don't offer full website copy projects, but this is what I do offer. Um, and like be really clear on that. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that it's a relief because I think a lot of times as we think about the packages that we're going to offer, there's this temptation to offer more and more and more and to not cut stuff out because we might miss out on a client who's who could pay us money to do the thing. And yet you're you're actually finding business more enjoyable by cutting down. Oh yeah. I mean, well, that's been a huge lesson of this year that especially when when you're working on your own the like your productivity and the amount you're able to do is limited by you like if if I am able to focus 10 hours a day and produce like I could do a lot more than if I like if I hate what I do and I it's a struggle to even kind of sit at my computer for two hours because I'm miserable and I don't like the projects I'm doing, then my capacity to earn money and to do really exciting projects is really limited. Um, And also like that comes, it comes through in like when I'm talking about my work and when I'm, when I'm posting on social media or when I'm writing my emails to my list, like it's way easier to write about stuff that you're enjoying and that you're excited about. Um, and I don't know why, like, I, I don't think I'm the only one that does this, but at the beginning, you think it, like, if it's easy and fun, it can't be the right path. Like, it has to be hard. It has to, like, if I'm, if I'm not working really, really hard and struggling, then how can it be the right path? Um, and that's not true. Like, they, I think, I mean, the key for me is, figuring out what's what's what are the things that are easy and um and that I'm excited about and that other people are not excited about and that aren't easy for them and like really really leaning into those and focusing on them Annie has shared a few things that are worth talking a little more about one thing that really stands out to me from Annie's story is the concept around fear, um, that the fear never really goes away. And um, I don't think I could stand up on the trapeze and do what Annie does. Um, But it's also a relief to hear that she's afraid too, and that trapeze artists aren't that different from us. They just, they sit with the fear and they do it anyway. Yeah. I I mean, you think about how this applies in our businesses and the people that we talk to all the time, a lot of people struggle with things like cold pitching because they're afraid of maybe the feedback or they're afraid of the rejection or, you know, they're afraid that it's, that it's going to fail. Right. And so they never take the leap. They never jump in. And uh, the fact of the matter is that, you know, there is no writing the perfect pitch that makes that fear go away. You still have to send the pitch or, you know, working with that client and stepping into 
new opportunities. You know, maybe you've never done a brand voice guide before, or maybe you've never written a long form sales page. And now that you have the opportunity, that fear is there and it literally never goes away until you've, you've done the thing, until you've made the jump, until you've figured out how to do this successfully. And I think this is just a, a great principle to apply to, you know, trapeze, to copywriting and to so many other parts of our lives. Yeah. Rob, where, where have you felt the fear in business and done the thing anyway? Well, I think every time that I take on a new big project that stretches me. So, you know, if I'm working with a client and suddenly I'm doing something that's bigger than anything I've done before, or that it's got more moving pieces, uh, you know, where the stakes are higher, those are the kinds of things that scare me and they're hard for me to step into. You know, if a, a client approaches me and the project is much bigger than something that I've done on my own before, I feel that fear really deeply. And uh, oftentimes I choose not to make the jump because of that fear. Uh, and it's only by leaning into those things that we learn how to do them so that we can do it the next time the opportunity comes. How about you? What, what are you afraid of jumping into? I think it's the same. I think that's really relatable. It's, it's anytime you're leveling up and attracting, um, you know, great clients you're so excited to work with, and then you raise your prices and you promise them, you know, everything in the, the offer that you put out there. And then once you close the deal, it's like, oh, oh, wow, I have, like, I have to do this now. Um, and it's, it's a terrifying every, every time. So I, I do agree. It, it never goes away as long as you're continuing to grow and to like, um, offer more, um, go after your dream clients, increase your rates. That fear is, is always there. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Another thing that Annie was talking about that I think we should point out is this idea of getting feedback from somebody. So Annie mentioned that she got feedback from a boss that really helped her grow and, and develop her copywriting skills. Bosses aren't the only places to get that feedback. You know, if, if you're in an in-house situation or if you work in an agency, those kinds of feedback loops are built into the job. But as freelancers, we often don't have that and we have to seek it out somewhere else. And so you can find that kind of feedback from, you know, peers, uh, you know, people who are in a copywriting group with you or friends that you've made, you know, as you've gone through this journey, uh, you know, you could be getting feedback from say a, a designer or somebody else that you're working with on a project, um, you know, launch managers, project managers, those kinds of people who can give you feedback. Uh, and as well, you can seek out opportunities to, you know, work with, uh, you know, mastermind groups or coaches or other things, but it's, it's really important to get that feedback on your work so that you can grow your skills and get better, you know, through, uh, that feedback loop where you're, you're putting your work out there, you're understanding what you could be doing better and improving along the way. Yeah. And in, in addition to that, I love that Annie shared, you know, that she, she hasn't been swayed recently since she's gone out on her own um, by full-time offers. And I, I just think it's such a fun moment and also something I can relate to because I do feel like there's this point of no return almost where like, yes, you could go back, you could work for someone else. We all, sometimes we need to do, do that and that's okay. But there's also this really kind of magical point in your business as a as an entrepreneur where you realize you, you see other job descriptions and you see some really amazing descriptions and job posts that you're like, wow, that would have really excited me a couple of years ago. And now I, 
I don't even want it. I don't want like I don't want the pay. I don't want that role um, because I'm so happy doing my own thing and building my own thing. And so it's just a really fun point to reach um, where you're not swayed by any fancy, shiny, incredible offers to work for someone else. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, that's not for everybody. You know, for some people, the right decision is to take the job or it is to take a full-time salary. Like there's no shame in not being a freelancer if it's too hard or if it's something that you're not enjoying. But for those who love this, who are good at finding the clients and doing the work at delivering tons of value, like, yeah, that's a really cool point to reach where nothing becomes tempting because you've almost made yourself unemployable. And we can all be swayed at some point. I mean, I could say that today, but you know, maybe right. a year from now, there's an offer that comes my way, and it's just like you—it's an unbelievable offer. So, but it, it's kind of—it's empowering to know um, when you do see other offers, and you're like, "Ah, eh, I don't need that. I've got my own thing." And it's you know, it's a way more exciting, and it's um, way more compelling to me. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like things can change quickly. You never know, and so staying open to all of that is also important. Yeah, it's good to have the option is I think what options it comes down are to. good. Yes. Yeah. So one other thing that I, I want to point out that Annie talked about is that idea that she didn't have to offer everything in her business. You know, she doesn't have to be everything to everybody. Uh, and we do this a lot of different ways in our businesses. Sometimes it's by choosing a niche and deciding, you know, I don't have to work in every niche. Sometimes it's in choosing the kinds of products that we want to work on. You know, so you lean into say email or maybe you lean into blog posts or, um, but really you're cutting out stuff that just doesn't really appeal to you. doesn't make you happy. It's not maybe your best work and knowing that you can do that and still succeed, I think is another empowering idea. Agreed. Awesome. Okay. So let's jump back into our interview with Annie and talk a little bit about the workshop that she's recently added to her services. Okay. So not excited about website projects, very excited about things like your workshop, uh, which is maybe a little bit of a different kind of offer than what most copywriters uh, would, would include in their services. So tell us a little bit about Lightning Decision Jams and you know what you do for them and how you help, how you use them to help your clients. Yeah. So I'm very excited about workshops and these problem solving workshops um, so the Lightning Decision Jam is one type of remote workshop that I use. Um, it was developed by, I think, AJ and Smart, which is a design sprint agency. Um, but I've started using a lot more of these kind of UX workshop type things um, in my business and in copyright, like specifically with copywriting clients which I, um, yeah, I'm really excited about. Um, so basically, these problem-solving workshops are a collection of exercises designed to solve a problem and make decisions and so that you can have an outcome. Um, and I think, well, I think I, I struggled with how to talk about workshops because in like a lot of the times in the copywriting online business world, a workshop is like a training or where someone is teaching you to do something. But when I talk about problem solving workshops, I'm talking about workshops where we, yeah, where we use exercises to solve problems together and where like why I love this. And the, for, so for me, the aha moment 
was um, when I started like working with bigger and bigger clients and realizing like being in, in meetings with them and with clients and their teams and realizing that they didn't have a formula to run meetings and decision-making meetings. And, um, and that a lot of times I would get frustrated with, we would be on a, we like, for example, if I had a client where we only had one hour a week for, and we only had that one hour to talk with them um, on the call, and it was maybe me and a, a couple of designers, um, I'd get frustrated that we used that time talking about, or maybe listening to the CEO talk about their ideas, or just kind of going back and forth in a discussion and not really having some kind of structured way to solve problems. Um, so when I I did this design sprint training uh, to become a design sprint facilitator about a year and a half ago, and that was my introduction to workshops and using exercises to structure discussions so that you can come up with ideas and make decisions and in in this structured way so that it's really productive. So the Lightning Decision Jam is a specific kind of recipe for where there are a few different exercises put together to solve problems. And yeah, I can talk about kind of what's involved. Would that be helpful? Yeah, maybe you could run through if I'm listening and I want to do a problem-solving workshop for my clients, but I've never done one before and I haven't, you know, read any of the books that you could share with us, what are some basic steps I could walk through to have a problem-solving conversation rather than just like brainstorming ideas and then everyone walks away and we have no idea what we're actually solving or doing? Oh, I love this um, because I also think, yeah, you don't have to have a, like a fancy, fancy software, fancy workshop to use some of these exercises. So, well, the first thing, so in a lightning decision jam, the first thing you do is define your goal. So Kira, can you think of a problem you might want to solve? Oh, I mean, like I how to get Rob to, to do trapeze. How to go, okay, let's let's go with that. So, how to get Rob to do trapeze? So, our goal is get Rob to fly in the trapeze. So, yeah, it's not happening, by the way. So, good luck. Okay, with this. well, we can deal. With oh, that. it can happen. This is good. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll get to the obstacles in a second. Um, so, we would start by writing our goal on a sticky note. So, Rob does trapeze. Um, and then I would give uh, maybe like five or 10 minutes, just set a timer um, and have everyone write down things that are in like in our favor of getting Robin Chappies and then things that are holding us back. So our obstacles. Um, and I mean, even this exercise is really powerful because a lot of the times you don't, um, you just listen to the loudest voice in the room and you don't hear say you have like a junior developer on the call and they don't feel empowered to share their ideas on a, like a copywriting challenge. So having everyone write down obstacles and things that are pushing you forward can be really powerful. And by pushing you forward, do you mean um, the benefits of why Rob should do this or is it something else? Oh yeah. 
Good question. Um, so it's the things that are helping us, like the things that we have in our favor. So um, <laughs> I would say like, so let's think of some, um, so Rob likes uh, sports. <laughs> he likes, like he's, he's athletic, he's in good shape. Um, and then like obstacles would be that, I don't know, are you afraid of heights? I, I, maybe a little bit afraid of heights. I don't have a trapeze outfit. I think trapeze artists wear those. I don't know. Maybe you also have some trust issues with me catching yeah, definitely, you. Definitely, yeah, definitely have trust <laughs> issues. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. So we would, so yeah, we would write. We would have our five minute timer, brainstorm all of those, and then when the five minutes is up, we have this collection of obstacles, and we vote on the biggest obstacle that if we solved it we would have the best chance of having success. So everyone gets, and this depends on how many obstacles you have, but everyone gets maybe three votes um, and you give everyone a minute to vote on the obstacles. And then once they voted, that the, the voting helps you prioritize. Um, so instead of kind of listening to who has the loudest voice or who's the most important um, person or the the highest ranking person in the room, the voting helps kind of democratize figuring out what problems need to be solved. So let's say the biggest obstacle. Uh, what what would be the biggest obstacle? Like Rob um, doesn't like trying new things. No, no, no. I don't think that's true. It's probably let's let's say that it's Rob's fear of heights, which would be a difficult thing to overcome. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good example. So then we have that and we reformulate it into a how might we question. So Rob is afraid of heights is our obstacle and we reformulate it into how might we help Rob overcome his fear of heights or how might we help Rob do trapeze even though he's afraid of heights, um, something like that. We blindfold him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're not push at, me off the platform. <laughs> we're not at solutions yet. Oh, so, sorry. So, sorry. but Kira's um, ahead of us. So, we have our how might we question, and then we. This is the best part. We brainstorm solutions. So, everyone gets sticky notes. Whether you're using uh, like a virtual whiteboard, like uh, Miro, or you're using actual sticky notes uh, and a pen, and we would set another timer and brainstorm answers to the question, how might we help her up overcome his fear of heights? And this is where everyone, like everyone on the team is brainstorming solutions and ideas um, and kind of not editing themselves. And you're putting these on post-it notes or in a notebook or something. We're just getting ideas down on, on the paper, right? Yeah, and usually on post-it notes, but honestly, you can run these types of workshops. Like I've done workshops in a like a, pay, a Google Doc or a page on Notion. Like as long as you have somewhere where people can all write on the same place, um, it works pretty well. So then the, the last step is voting again and prioritizing. So now that we have all the possible ideas on paper, we vote on which ones uh, we think would be the most helpful. Um, and so maybe it's blindfolding Rob. Uh, maybe it's like doing some coaching. 
um, or doing trapeze as a group so he doesn't feel scared. But yeah, then we would vote on the solutions again so that we prioritize them. And then as a team, once we've come up with, we would look at maybe the top three solutions that we vote and we would come up with action items as a team so that we actually do them. And we, now that we've prioritized them, we figure out how to make them happen. And yeah, so maybe your, your problem isn't figuring out how to get Rob to try trapeze, but um, maybe it's something with a client or um, something copywriting related. Uh, and it can be really powerful to kind of see, see all of the possible solutions and then force yourself to choose like actual action items so that you can make them happen. Okay, so yeah, let's say that it is a marketing challenge. Can, can, let's just step through those steps really quickly without necessarily talking about what we do at each step. But it's define the problem, and then um, is it um, offer or, or no re- recontextualize the problem, um, offer ideas, and then pick a solution? Is that basically the? the I I think I might have left something out. Yeah. So define well. Define the goal. Figure out obstacles. Then def- yeah, define the biggest problem and then reformulate it, reframe it into a how might we question, then brainstorm solutions, prioritize those solutions, and then make action items so that one or two or three of those solutions actually happens. Okay. So how are you packaging this and selling it? And what are the deliverables that you give to clients? Like how could we actually sell this and create an offer around something like this for our own business? Yeah. So I'm still working on the details. Like I feel like with every project, I kind of make changes to how I talk about it or how I offer it. Um, But right now I am selling a version of, so it's the same kind of tools and the same principles as the, the lightning decision jam that we just walked through. But uh, I do like a brand story sprint. So we use the same kind of exercises of brainstorming, prioritizing, creating action items to help clients figure out their brand story and come to an agreement and align on like elements of their brand story and their brand message. Um, And that is, well, so it's a three-hour workshop and... It involves a fair amount of pre-work. Like I send a a questionnaire with different questions to help kind of extract all of the information from clients. And then I set up the workshop kind of based on their needs and where the gaps are in terms of their, uh, yeah, their brand story. And then um, I create, so I run the workshop, I walk them through all of the different exercises and three hours sounds like a lot, but when you're figuring out kind of the core message of your company, it goes really fast. And I've gotten a lot of really good feedback about that. People really enjoy it and it's really productive. And then after the workshop, I create a report that kind of summarizes everything we decided on and summarizes the next steps and gives some recommendations on what they could change whether it's uh, their website copy or um, other areas of their 
messaging based on what we decide in the workshop. Okay, so this seems like a really cool tool, especially for getting feedback from uh, you know, people who maybe wouldn't be involved in a process for creating a brand story. You know, I, I'm thinking about the process that I might go through, you know, in, with interviews, possibly a group interview with two or three individuals, but it almost seems like it would fast track the whole development process. So, uh, you know, knowing that, what's the big promise, you know, for, for the client when you offer this, uh, this workshop? Yeah. Um, and you're exactly right. It involves voices that wouldn't normally be involved and helps fast track it. Um, so I think the big promise is define, like get aligned on your brand message and, and define your brand story so that you can like get really clear on, on your message when you create uh, other copy, whether that's web copy or email, like email sequences. Uh, but it really lays the foundation for, do it either doing work in-house, maybe you have your own writer, or maybe you're working with other like freelance copywriters. But as, well, as a copywriter, it's really hard to work with teams that aren't aligned internally and haven't done this kind of work. So the, the big benefit that I see is that, yeah, clients are able to kind of get all this clarity on their message and on their story and then hit the ground running on other projects that they really want to do. Okay. Two questions. So how much are you charging for something like this or how would you recommend we think about charging for it? Maybe I, maybe you mentioned that I missed it. And then, uh, where could we possibly mess this up? (laughs) Especially, you know, running a problem solving workshop sounds really cool, but it's also a little intimidating, especially if it's something that's really different for you as a copywriter. So what should we watch out for as we jump into our first few? Yeah. Well, so to answer your first question right now, I'm charging $1,500 for this workshop. Um, It's kind of an intensive, even though, so the actual workshop happens in one day. And then the the pre-work happens maybe the week before. Um, And then as for like pitfalls, um, I think part of it is that workshop facilitation and all the kind of the teaching and, and facilitation involved in leading a workshop like this is kind of out of the realm of what you expect when you become a copywriter. So it's like another skill set. And I think it's important to, well, what I've done a lot is look, look outside of our industry. So looking at, I mean, there are people who their entire career is just facilitating workshops for like corporate companies. Um, so trying to learn a lot from them and not get stuck on just knowing like the theory of like story brand and how to how to define your brand story. Um, and then the other pitfall, I think, is not just not paying enough attention to the little things. So when when you're facilitating a workshop, I mean, first of all, it's a fairly new experience for a lot of 
clients, maybe they've never done this type of workshop before, or they've never used some of the tech tools. So paying a lot of attention to like treating them. So as copywriters, we think a lot about the user experience and treating them as your users. So thinking about what they already know and what might be confusing or what might um, like frustrate them about both about like the, the tech tools you're using and about the the exercises you're going to walk them through and, and just, I guess, over-preparing um, and doing a lot of practice. So, I mean, I well, I designed a workshop um, for the think tank and I'd never, I like combined some different exercises from the Lightning Decision Jam and I knew there would be a lot of unknowns that I couldn't anticipate. So I <laughs> bullied my family into being my guinea pigs and we ran like two different workshops and they helped me kind of work out all the kinks before I did it for real. I had no idea that you ran it on your family. That makes me smile. Yeah, actually I did it twice and then they requested, they had other, I helped them solve some problems in their life and work. <laughs> and then like a week later, my mom said, can we do another Lightning Decision Jam workshop because I have this problem I need to work through. And we got That's online cool. and went on the You're like, part. yeah, it's $1,500. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as I think about uh, this workshop and, and I'm guessing maybe others are listening thinking, okay, I want to add something like that too. But um, I'm not sure that my current client would be a fit for this kind of thing. So what kinds of clients do you look for that you would sell this to? Like, you know, how big does the team need to be? Um, you know, what kinds of problems do they need to be trying to solve? I think this works really well for teams, and I think, I mean, so my niche is I work with SaaS clients and I think this is very familiar to product teams and it like it takes a lot of things from UX workshops. So I think working in SaaS makes it easy because even though the, the like using a workshop like this to talk about brand messaging might not be familiar, um, getting on a a virtual whiteboard and moving sticky notes around to solve problems is fairly familiar to them. Um, but yeah, I think it's really great for teams. Um, if you've ever had a discovery call with a client where you like you expected to get information from them, but they're actually not very aligned. Uh, and you struggle to figure out like who you should listen to or what the priorities are in terms of copyright your copywriting project. Um, I think this can be using like designing workshops like this can be really helpful to help you do your job better as a copywriter. Um, and that's what I've that it's really been helpful for me to kind of design workshops, depending on what we're trying, like what most of the clients I work with are, are teams. So it's helped to get the team aligned so that I can do a better job. Okay. I want to uh, jump and talk about something else. Um, I want to ask you about your experience in the think tank. You mentioned it. Um, that's how we've been able to get to know you and your business and um, work with you more closely over the last six months. Can you talk a little bit about your experience inside 
a mastermind like the Think Tank and um, what's worked really well for you and maybe even what's surprised you? Because I think it is, you know, it's easy for us to talk about it from our point of view and share the benefits, but it's totally different to hear about it from people who are in it and experience it every day. Yeah. So, so many things. Um, but I think, well, when you're signing up for a, a program like a mastermind or a course, I think it's easy to think about kind of the big promise and the big things. And you think it's going to be this one huge aha moment that happens. Um, but for me, it's been a lot of smaller things. So one thing I've really noticed um, that it, yeah, I've gotten from like being inside courses and joining communities with other copywriters, including the think tank, is the benefit of seeing inside other people's businesses. Um, and for two, I mean, part of it is just like it has helped me get over a lot of imposter complex. And when it, like when you're not inside a community like that, you don't see the figuring it out part, the uncertainty. You only see the finished product, maybe the the posts on their Instagram or the podcast interviews when they've kind of ironed out the kinks. Um, but being in a in a small community like a the in the think tank, um, you get to see, yeah, where as people are working it out and what they're working through. And that's helped me kind of get over a lot of my imposter complex. I mean, it's never going to go away, but helped me get over a lot of imposter complex because I realized that nobody has it all figured out. Um, and yeah, we're all kind of figuring it out. But, um, and then the other thing is just like accountability and momentum. So being with people who are achieving really impressive things is just this constant source of motivation and momentum. Um, I think I've, yeah, like I said, I, I've achieved a lot of, I've achieved, achieved things a lot faster than I normally would. And I think part of it is just wanting to take advantage of every single week and, um, like setting goals every week and having people that will ask you about them um, and asked, ask like how you're doing and what you've accomplished. Um, that's been big for me. Yeah. So uh, obviously you've done a lot right and you've talked about a lot of the changes that you've made in your business, but what's gone wrong? Like what, what have you failed at? And what, aside from not being able to go home, uh, you know, what, what have you been struggling with for the last say uh, six to 10 months? Yeah. Um, other than not being able to go home, um, I, well, I think one thing other, other than like imposter complex and kind of overcoming that, um, I think focus is a big thing, a big struggle for me and something I'm really working on actively right now. So not just focus in terms of um, like focusing in the day-to-day -day work, but focus in the big picture view of my business. I think there's so much amazing marketing and content out there that's pulling you in all different directions and telling you that you need to follow this path or do this thing. Um, and it can be really hard, especially when you're a newer writer and your business model is changing and you're figuring out what your goals are. Um, it can be really tempting to kind of 
like change directions all the time. Um, so yeah, one thing I'm really focusing on right now is just letting it be okay that my go- like my goal this week is the same as my goal last week um, and the week before, and I'm not doing something really crazy and new and exciting, and that's okay. And that I mean, it's a constant effort of like pulling myself back from the shiny, fancy things, but I think I think it's going to pay off such a good point. It's such a struggle to stay focused at every level of business. Um, and I struggle with it too. So Annie, uh, what's next for you? What are you focused on as you're talking about focus? What are you focused on next? So speaking of like shiny things right now, I'm really focused on doing a lot of like training and coaching, um, that, and that was kind of unexpected. Um, but so I'm training um, a, cu- a couple of other writers in copywriting and also in workshop facilitation. Um, and I, yeah, I want to do more of that. So I'm training them. Um, and then I'm working on putting together a kind of training for copywriters. Uh, I want to teach more about like how to, how to design your own workshop and how to use these tools to create your own kind of recipe for workshop facilitation, uh, because I think it's a, it's something that uh, like in the design and UX industry, they're using a lot, but we could be doing more. Um, and yeah, every time I like train other writers to use some of these tools, it's been really beneficial for them. So I, want to do more of that. Annie, if you could go back in time, we had this magical time machine, uh, and you could go back and talk to Annie, who was just hired by the agency for her first copywriting job, what kind of advice would you give her? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, I would, I think the big thing is just to really question the rules, like, especially when you're in in an agency, but when you're a freelancer, it feels like there are so many rules, like I, in quotes, rules um, about the industry and like how you're supposed to, like you have to do work for free to get started and then you build up um, or that you have to kind of pass certain steps before you can reach certain levels in, in copywriting and business. And I wish I, yeah, I would tell past Annie to um, kind of like look outside or like question the rules um, and look outside of them um, and kind of challenge anyone that says, I feel like anytime anyone says like, this is a rule, this is just, this is just how the industry is. It's because either they've never questioned it themselves or they are afraid of what would happen if you ignored that rule. Um, so yeah, I would just tell my past self to um, kind of look around and, and see like what rules are you following that you don't know why you're following them um, in your like in your business model and in your copywriting work and question that. 
So that's the end of our interview with Annie. Uh, before we wrap up, we should probably mention that we've done a couple of lightning decision rounds uh, or lightning decision jams with Annie, and we found them pretty effective at pulling out ideas from a group of people. So you were part of that discussion, Kara. I was there. We've done it in the think tank and you know, had uh, we used it as a framework for doing hot seats. What did you think about the process? I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought um, this lightning decision jam was perfect for a group like our own masterminds. So we, we had Annie come in and run this lightning decision jam during one of our retreats, actually during two retreats um, with a group of about 20 people. Um, and it worked really well. And especially since we've moved to virtual retreats over the last year, it was just another interactive uh, fun way for all of us to come together and help the you know help one person, um, the person who has the question or you know needs feedback, um, work through that decision making process um, in a different way than what we're used to. Right? We, we've done a lot of hot seats, traditional hot seats. Those are valuable, um, but this was a different way of approaching a problem that I think will become more and more prevalent in the online education space. So what Annie is doing, I mean, Annie really is at the forefront of it, especially um, as a copywriter who's sharing who's sharing all of her experiences with all of us so generously. Uh, I, I predict we will see more and more copywriters um, stepping into more of this facilitation role with their clients and with their own audience as they build out their offers. Yeah. And the thing that I really liked about you know, the lightning decision jams that we did is that it pull, it, it basically allows every single person to give feedback. And with a traditional hot seat or, you know, feedback type meeting, usually it's, you know, three or four people who have the ideas. And it's oftentimes it's the same three or four people that are talking and sharing it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because those ideas are worth sharing. But oftentimes those who are maybe a little bit more introverted or quiet or you know, think their ideas aren't as valuable step back and they don't participate. And the LDJ gives them an opportunity to share their ideas too because there's this, this period of sort of idea um, submission and then there are opportunities for voting and everybody gets an opportunity to give feedback. So it's a really good method for collecting information from a, a, a decent sized group with, uh, you know, members who are maybe extroverted and introverted and getting feedback from everyone. Yeah. And if it's hard for you to picture this because, you know, this is an audio podcast and it's hard to imagine what we're even talking about, um, it's worth connecting with Annie and, you know, she has a lot of different ways you could learn about these types of lightning decision jam sessions um, through what she's building and offering. Um, so if it is something, if you're really into exploring new tech tools um, and creating different new experiences for your clients, uh, it definitely is worth connecting with Annie to learn more. So another idea that I think is worth touching on that Annie talked about, and I, I think this is something that, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, from the beginning, so you've, you've listened to, you know, 200 plus episodes as we've talked through all of this stuff, you might get this sense that the people that we have on the podcast have stuff figured out and, you know, that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, you know, they're doing really well in their business and they've, they've got these products that are, you know, finding audiences and they're selling at high prices and, you know, their schedules are full and they're doing all of these things right. And the behind the scenes that, you know, we don't always see when we're talking with people on the podcast is the truth that nobody has it all figured out. You know, that, uh, you know, even when things are going right in your business, there are always other, um, 
people who are doing things differently that can give you ideas. There are other options. There are new products that you can try. There are new audiences you can go after, niches you can try. Like there's so many different ways to do this business that we all do. And the truth of the matter is even those who have some parts figured out don't have everything figured out. And I think, you know, that's, as Annie was mentioning, that's why the think tank or a mastermind experience is, is so valuable. That's not the only way to get that kind of feedback and to you know, see all of the options, but it's a really good way. Yeah. If you can form your own mastermind or a small intimate group of, you know, five people or whatever, three people, five people who are willing to open up and talk about their struggles too, um, that is also another easy way for you to see and really grasp the idea of nobody, you know, nobody has it all figured out. Um, so there, there are many different ways you can approach it, but I do think that it's, it's critical to see that. Um, so you can see, get ideas and also understand that you're not alone in your own struggles. Exactly. And if you're going to put together your own group, you want to make sure that you're pulling people with different experiences and different backgrounds. I think, you know, the first time that I went into a, you know, a big room, uh, I think it was with Brian Kurtz's mastermind and, you know, sat down next to somebody who was not a copywriter. You know, they were uh, a business owner, I think even a billionaire. They were doing a bunch of things um, to, you know, serve high school students and, and there were some science fairs and things that they were putting together in their spare time. They were looking for copywriters and just talking to him about his business and what he was doing. Uh, it was, it was eye opening to me and the various things that he was doing that I might be able to apply back into my business. So it, it's a really good idea not to just have, you know, a group of four or five copywriters who are exactly like you, you know, you want to be in different niches. You want to be at a slightly different parts of your business, you know, some at earlier stages, some at later stages, you want people who are developing products and people who aren't, you know, people who are building agencies and people who aren't. And and it just, it's the more variety that's there, the more opportunity you have to learn. Yeah. We also talked with Annie about questioning the rules. And so I'm just wondering, Rob, what, what rules have you questioned in related to business and copywriting? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, when, when I saw that you made a note about that, I was thinking, okay, what rules do I question? Um, you know, there are definitely things around, you know, trying to move before I'm ready. Uh, but I tend to be the kind of person who is sometimes held back by the rules, you know, where I'll impose some of those rules on myself and think, oh, I can't necessarily do that. And uh, I think maybe that's partly why this partnership between you and me worked because you push me to do things that I don't always want to do, you know, photo shoots that maybe are outside of my comfort zone. Or, uh, you know, when, when we, we, we've mentioned this before, but when we launched the event, you know, I was not ready for that kind of thing. And there are definitely things in our business that I, you know, as we've started to grow a team, uh, that I feel like sometimes, um, I'm, I'm trying to stick to the old rules and not necessarily look for new ways or new rules that, uh, you know, that we can do, but what rules do you question? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tough question for me to think through too. Um, what comes to mind is just questioning the pace of growth. That is kind of the accepted and sought out pace for growth in this online marketing space that we're in where you have to grow fast and like, you know, numbers have to increase so, so quickly. And, um, while we've grown, I do think I've questioned that rule or thought around the speed of growth. And so I think in a way, you know, you and I are more 
at least I think we're more of like the tortoise in the race. I don't think we're the hare. Maybe you'll disagree. Um, but we're more focused on long-term growth, long-term relationships, building a business that will last, um, then kind of keeping up with everyone else out there and, and doing all the things. And um, not that we're immune to that, um, being distracted by that, but I think we've figured out our own pace. It's working for us. And so um, that would be one. And then the other would be around social media and um, all the rules around social media, which, you know, around showing up everywhere, showing up consistently, doing, you know, going on Instagram live, like, at eight o'clock in the evening. Sometimes I just see people doing that. I'm like, don't you just want to hang? Like, don't you want to hang? Don't you want to do? <laughs> and there's also like, you know, I, that's judgy on me, but I think it's just good to know, like we, I don't have to do that. And, and we figured out a path that works for us. Like the podcast. I love our podcast. It's always a pleasure to do this. And so, um, being able to kind of rule out the rules where I'm like, I don't want to do a Facebook live at 7 PM in the evening, because engagement's better than, um, and I don't want to feel forced to show up in places where I don't really want to hang out. So a lot of it is again, just like social media screen related. Um, and I think, you know, we're doing, we're doing okay without, without some of those, um, aspects of our business fully formed. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's really important to realize that nobody in copywriting has to build the business that somebody else in copywriting has built. You know, there are famous copywriters out there. You know, we, we've mentioned, say, like Paris Lampropoulos, who, uh, you know, has uh seven figure copywriting business. He trains the copywriters like you don't have to be like him. And at the same time, you also don't have to be like uh, anyone else. You don't have to be the Bob Bly. You don't have to be the Marcella Allison or the or whoever. You don't have to be Rob Marsh or Kira Hug. You could build your own business and do things your own way. And as long as it you know supports the lifestyle you want to live, as long as it brings you happiness and fulfillment, that's okay. And if that's a five-figure business, that's perfectly fine. And if it happens to be a million-dollar business, that's also perfectly fine. You can do your own thing. And Annie is definitely figuring that out in her own business as she builds it her way and not to fit the mold that maybe somebody else has. Okay. Thanks to Annie for sharing so much detail about how her business has changed and how she conducts her workshops. If you want to know more about what Annie does with her lightning decision jams, or you simply want to follow her, go to AnnieBacher.com and join her email list. That's Annie with two N's, Bacher, B-A-C-H-E-R.com. She's also on Instagram at Annie.Beecher. That's the end of another episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit the iTunes store and leave a review of the show, which helps other copywriters find it and enjoy the content here too. And to learn more about how Kira and I can help you build a more successful copywriting business, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters.
so 